0: First Thessalonians, page 986 in your pew Bible, in my ESV reading Bible as well. First, uh, a bit of the historical circumstance. I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, uh, but you can trace through what I have here and find the second missionary journey in your Bible map. So you can find a map online, trace what happens there interesting thing is that Paul is retracing his steps from his first missionary journey. And as he's going through what now is Turkey, southern Turkey, he wants to head on to Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbids him to do that. And then he starts going north to Bithynia, northern Turkey. Holy Spirit says no to that. And so they end up going to Troas, a western city on the coast, And there's where he gets the vision. Uh, The Macedonian fellow appears in a vision. Uh, Not every day that Paul had a vision from the Macedonian man. But he appears and says, come over here and help us. Um, And so, as it says there, they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. Now, a couple of things about all of this. Please, please read chapter 16 and 17 of Acts because there's such a wonderful parallel with what Paul describes here in Thessalonians and what you actually find in Acts because in chapter 16 we see Paul uh, seeing Lydia converted, the Philippian jailer, uh, the girl possessed by a demon, he casts out the demon, this ruins the money she was making and he gets thrown in jail, beaten publicly, all of these things. But then you read here in 1 Thessalonians 2, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, we had boldness to speak to you. But so you can actually read about his suffering at Philippi and how he then went on to Thessalonica. And it, golly, it's right here. So it's really, it's just neat to see Luke's account and Paul's recounting of the very same events. But the other thing is that the specific way that the Holy Spirit or he's called the Spirit of Jesus, same thing, directed him not to go to Asia, not to go to Bithynia, gets him to Troas, then calls him across the water to Macedonia. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. We wouldn't have a Philippians, right? Uh, Lydia was there. Why he wanted, you know, Lydia was a chosen person, and he got there for Lydia. Later, we understand that the gospel prospered in bithynia but that wasn't the time god wanted so when when you see paul saying here in the very beginning for first thessalonians we realize that you were beloved by god and that he had chosen you because our gospel came to you in power but it had to be also the fact that we're even here right we're even here and then see how the spirit takes hold of us and the kind of people we were among you and how the gospel went out in power. Just imagine all of that for Paul to realize uh, Christ's hand on him in the gospel. And brothers and sisters... No, brothers. Brother and sisters. (laughs) Sisters. um, Sistern. The... uh, (laughs) Same as brethren, right? Um, But um, the... uh, the fact that we won't be getting visions, but we can know very specifically we're in Fort Worth for a reason. Your neighbors are your neighbors for a reason. The people you meet have association with at school or whatever, your children's school. It's for a reason, right? Just as much as this, it's just not brought about in such bold, uh, supernatural ways. But it is supernatural, at least obviously supernatural, just know that God is just as concerned to bring in all of his sheep, as Jesus said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. Every one of them. There are sheep not of this fold. I must gather them too, and they will hear my voice. You and I get to participate that in that, and uh, we we can know that God is behind all that we're seeking to do and the particular people and circumstances that we're put in. secondly, it's interesting who made up this church uh, that we see Paul addressing in 1 Thessalonians. We read in Acts 17 that Paul spoke in the synagogue, which was his regular pattern, naturally, go to those who uh, would know something about Messiah, those who have a background to hear about Messiah. And as generally was the case, the Jews largely rejected him there, but the Gentiles, they're all—they're called the devout Gentiles or the God-fearing Gentiles, they had already left polytheism and paganism to begin to attach themselves to these Jewish synagogues because they were attracted by the morality and the uh, order and just the beauty of some of the things in monotheism itself. And so... Those Gentiles were largely in synagogue after synagogue, the ones who responded to the gospel, same as the same in Thessalonica. Um, so it says there that these, Jew, uh, these uh, uh, Greek uh, uh, devout Greeks or Gentiles were the ones who came, some leading ladies in the city as well, uh, were part of that group. But when you come here, and this is B here, to uh, his statement, uh, how you turn, verse uh, chapter one, verse nine, how you turn to God from idols. So you have uh, in the synagogue, you have the Gentile. Um, this one works, obviously. Uh, you have them going through the synagogue where they come to Christ, but we have others who are coming straight from idols to christ now the question is how did that happen where did he come in contact with these gentiles how did they circumvent the normal route of you know gentiles to synagogue to jesus which occurred in these three uh weeks and i would say as i said i think to one of the paragraphs above, that I think Paul stayed in Thessalonica longer than it appears in Luke's account. Luke tends to condense things at times. um, And so uh, I think, as others do, that he likely was there for several more months. And we're going to talk down the the road here about, so how did that happen? How how did he make contact with the Gentiles? Which has a direct, direct effect on how we are going to have contact with our the people around us. So, just a little teaser for what's coming as to how Paul and the church made this contact with the Gentiles. And this will tie directly into our Sunday school class uh, if you're in that class on the early church and evangelism. All right, on the back then, <clears throat> what is the religious environment in Thessalonica? So... As you, These are just some of the uh, prominent religions that were floating around in Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was the major city of the time. And now, even, it's the second largest city in, in uh, Greece. It's in northern Greece. You know, Athens, the capital, is in southern Greece. But was a prominent, continues to be a prominent city. So, you had uh, Dionysus, the god of wine and drunkenness. Let's think of a god of drunkenness, right? There's even an account of, of uh, Dionysus appearing to someone and scolding him because he's not drunk. He's sleeping and he didn't drink. So there was moral pressure, you know, to follow this god and honor this god. And how do you, you go out and get a six-pack and down it? You know, that's how you honor this god. That's one aspect of religion, Okay. Of course, Aphrodite, you know, or Venus also, she was the goddess of uh, the symbol of sexual license, the very symbol of it. I mean, she was the patroness of prostitutes. And so, it was understood as a part of worship and a part of how you understood relationship to her that uh, sexual freedom was a given. And then you have, I, I put these three together because they're related in this way, Priapus, Isis, and Orsis, and Dionysus again. Um, in these religions and some others, the phallus symbol was prominent. It was such that certain figures had a prominent uh, phallus attached to them. Others, it actually speaks of parades with a large phallus being carried and hymns being sung to it. Okay? There's your Macy's Macy Day parade in Thessalonica. All right? Uh, now, the, not only this, the, the pure, incredible, beyond our imagination, sensuality of it, But then these religious cults are all connected to politics. They're all connected to the civil authority or the imperial authority. So either on both local level or if you're talking about the imperial cult where Augustus himself was the object of worship and that was actively promoted, of course, um, you fall out of favor with them. And that's very likely what happened in Thessalonica and what the Jews knew they could do even though the Jews themselves rejected all of this idolatry, they come up to the officials and say, these guys are challenging your gods. Don't tell them what we think. You know, that kind of thing. And it, it worked. They knew how to instigate a riot against these people who were uh, supposedly filing a uh, claim against the religion of the city uh, or the religion of the emperor. And if, you're, if you don't follow the religion of the city, you're falling out of all civic affairs because every l- large civic event was just inundated with this religion. It's part of the religion. They're not, they couldn't be separated. Uh, it's like all Eastern religion in that regard. Uh, the, the state and the, the uh, cult were one thing. Uh, So this helps give us a background for, uh, one, Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8, where he speaks to them about sexual immorality. just helps you understand why this is such a critical thing, what the pressures were. But then it's important for us, I think, because we, of course, we're so myopic. We've always been myopic. Like when I was in uh, college, I just knew because of how Lindsey that I probably wasn't going to live to be 40, you know, because Jesus is coming again. And look where I am today. Uh, <laughs> um, but also, it's not only that we, we, we think Jesus is coming in our lifetime, but we think God judges everything according to what's happening in America right now. And because things used to be better in the 50s, better as I say to some in the South, oh, back when you could lynch anybody without any recourse? Is that what you mean, better? You know, I, I get sick of that kind of talk. A lot of things are worse. A lot of things are better, okay? It's, it's just a mixed bag. We, America's been a mixed bag from the beginning. I mean, there are just horrendous things that have occurred in American history that are absolutely anti-Christian, Right? And there's some wonderful things. Let's be real. That's the way it is in this world. But we will tend to think because of certain sexual things right now, it's never been this bad before. What are we going to do? We start wringing our hands. It's all over. Our culture's gone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do you fit that into this? This tiny group of people that are watching these parades of of male organs as as part of what their celebration is, and one of their goddesses, you know, pushes you into sexual licentiousness, um, and they're 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 carved, you know, purity and holiness and love out in the midst of that environment. Um, so let's don't wring our hands. Let's say God's put us in yeah a tough environment for what so that we might n- make known the purity and beauty and love of Jesus Christ. I'll just say as a side note, I'll throw this one in for free. Um, we, uh, of course it means, as part of what we do, to teach with vigor and joy the beauty of human sexuality. You know, get back into the Song of Solomon and realize... Wait a minute, she celebrates his body in there. He celebrates her body. God celebrates their union in this place. That's the feel of the New Testament, I mean, of, of the Bible. Um, and so it means that we, uh, as Kay and I like to put it, which we're enjoying now our grandchildren along with our uh, our children, you know, Enjoying our grandchildren with our children, we've invested so far forty-one years into it. Uh, we're deliriously happy, which is a wonderful thing, you know, in our in our marriage. But we look at this, and the forty-one years invested in the enjoyment of our grandchildren, and our shorthand for it is sure beats the back seat. Sure beats the back seat, right? And that's all you have. You have Playboy slash backseat slash, slash 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 or you have this over here, right? And we're, we're here in a broken, destructive, dark society to speak, to speak the beauty of, of truth, the beauty of love, the beauty of Jesus Christ. So that's where God has called us. He means to use us. God, give us grace that we will uh, look to see how wonderfully He'll use us here. Then, fourthly, we get to this um, matter of how did they uh, reach these Gentiles. That's the teaser from number two, right? <clears throat> so, one is that faithful work is emphasized in this uh, book. He he. He commands them in chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians 3, uh, underscoring how important it is for them to be faithful in their everyday work. And he includes in there that you may walk properly before outsiders. Okay? And then Paul himself set the example because even as an apostle, he could have been supported by his work, but he, by, by his preaching, but just to make sure everybody understood he wasn't out to make a buck, he wasn't using this for greed, you know, just like all televangelists, you know. <laughs> they're not out to make a buck. Um, but, but Paul himself was faithful in his work. And this possibly, likely, gives us a clue as to how he ministered the gospel in perhaps those several months uh, that he stayed uh, past the time in the synagogue and uh, it, it was a regular affair that in artisans' shops, people collected and talked about philosophy and talked about religion and talked about life. It was just a gathering place. So it's very likely that one of the places that Paul spoke the gospel, not only in whatever public arena he could find, but it was actually doing his work and having people come in regularly and... and uh, then, of course, he would bump, uh, bump up against Gentiles, not just Jews, but Gentiles in this way. And so over the this period of time, both he and others would begin to influence people in their everyday lives. So uh, that's that's likely. It's, it's through the daily uh, faithful work, faithfully we're carrying out responsibilities of work and community, and then... Uh, And secondly, B, we have this constant emphasis of love that's to be shown to all people. Uh, For instance, let me just read these that I have listed. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. 1 Corinthians uh, 1, that's uh, 3.12. Uh, Then in 5.15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Assuming you're going to be treated evil, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be treated very, very badly. Uh, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, right? That's the means by which people begin to see these people are different, what's going on in their lives. Uh, chapter uh, 1 of Second uh, Thessalonians Verse 11, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. And then in chapter 2, that he may comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And then finally, chapter 3, verse 13, do not grow weary in doing good. See, that's just a theme here. What a critical theme for this a budding church to do your work faithfully. Do it excellence. Uh, do it as unto the Lord, as He talks about in Ephesians and Colossians, and continue to love and do good in the midst of persecution. All right. So, uh, a, a third thing was just the creation of a community of deep care and accountability, and uh, we don't have time to go into all of that, but uh, this, this, of course, became a place of refuge. It became a place where people could hear the gospel, uh, hear the gospel discussed, um, and uh, hear the, the truth, uh, watch the truth as it formed a new kind of people, a new community of people who normally wouldn't be connected, but they are now connected in Jesus Christ. So it's your work, it's this love that every person is carrying out, or maybe sometimes jointly as a community, and then the very community itself, uh, which created a whole new force to be reckoned with, uh, a place that would draw others into it, where they could be nurtured in the gospel. And then all along, they're trusting in the power of the gospel. And you'll see that in that paragraph time and again in these uh, two books. He talks about the proclamation of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit and how God is at work. So holding all these things together, being faithful and the total responsibility and outface that we have with unbelievers, being compassionate and, and given to servanthood and love and humility to them, uh, building this community that is safe and uh, where there's accountability, where there's vulnerability, where there's humility, uh, and people come in, and and uh, I've heard the testimony many, many times of people who have come into our church, and you think, well, how did you grow? Why didn't just me? Why didn't Ryan? Why? It, 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 they just say, well, everybody, everything. I just grew because everywhere. I looked, there was the same message being worked out in people's lives and I saw a love and vulnerability and people would talk about Jesus in a way I've never heard him, and they would share their lives in ways that... You see, that's it. That's it, creating this community. All the time, trusting we have the gospel, we're preaching this gospel, we're talking about this gospel, we're explaining about Christ, we're praising Christ. This is going to have its great effect through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, uh, as uh, Kate, Katie prayed about the coming of Christ and the emphasis here, the central place of hope uh, for this community. You can read the emphasis, I've listed them out in uh, A there, but I just want to emphasize the connection between hope and love and how that can affect us. Isn't it interesting in 1 Peter 3, our great verse about uh, giving a defense, be ready to give a defense for what? The hope that is in you. And they were in a very similar situation of persecution, um, and yet there was this great hope that people would recognize in them. And so he's, he's telling them, you know, be ready to give a defense for that hope. And the whole context is Persecution. And then uh, notice the call in 1 Peter and 1 Thessalonians, you can look at those verses, we've given some of them already, is to continue to do good in the midst of persecution. How do you continue to do good? Because you have hope. You have hope in what is is going on. You have hope in what God's purpose is for your persecution. The final hope that you will have of deliverance uh, in, in Him. And so you can see it. It's uh, beautifully put in the uh, last verse I have there, First Peter, where he says, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, in the midst of even opposition, our hope in the coming of Christ and our hope of what He will bring, our hope that everything that we do, there's nothing in vain, Gives us uh, a, the the grace and ability to continue to give ourselves away no matter what. And I close with first the great passage 1 Corinthians thirteen, where you've heard me say it before. Uh, love uh, bears ah, excuse me bears bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And endures all things. These go together, right? These go together. So as hope, as love believes and hopes in God's power and His purposes, it continues to bear up and endure in all circumstances. That's how critical hope is for us. And I love Gordon Fee's uh, summary of that verse. Love has a tenacity in the present buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future that enables it to live in every kind of circumstance and continually to pour itself out in behalf of others. That's why hope is so critical, that we form this community of love, that we continue to pour ourselves out for others in love. Now, if this isn't directly pertaining to our goals of prayer... You know, for God's power and neighboring, I don't know what is. So may God bless us, bless you all as you study. Let's pray. Father, we pray, give us grace to uh, embrace all that you've given us in this these precious letters of of Paul. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for all the circumstance which brought about even the writing of this, and Lord, that you have preserved it for us, and that you mean us for us to live out a similar faith and hope and a similar love to one another and to our community and to have a similar impact to see more and more people be brought to Jesus Christ through the gospel, through the community of Jesus. We trust you to do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.